Well, I've been uh, reading up on a lot of different things about 9-11. Had a book in my office for some time about the uh, uh, heroes of 9-11, and that was a very sobering read, and I couldn't put it down because it just kept on going, and the stories kept on going. And, And for me, I guess for me, it's more of a tragic thing for me because, and you probably, like any other event that was incredibly huge, JFK being assassinated, other events like that. With 9-11 for me, I guess that was the JFK for me. Um, but when that happened, I was uh, in the uh, in seminary and we were gathered together and, and the whole event was unfolding on TV. And then during that time, after watching for a little bit, then some of the professors were telling us, well, okay, let's get back together. Let's, let's make sure we do these things. We got to learn from this. Let's get into scripture. Let's go through the lessons. And I'm, I'm like, I'm not here. I'm, I'm there in New York right now, and I, I can't do this. And so I felt like I was never able to process it totally. And even, even to today, reading some of the things in the book, it was like taking me back and almost, you know, having me relive those moments again, uh, watching it all unfold on TV. Uh, pretty tragic. And I was scrolling through, um, oh, I don't know what it was. Um, it might have been Netflix or something like that. And there's a whole series, of because 9-11 today, whole series of, of shows that you could watch, documentaries and, and stuff. I thought, well, it might be interesting. I thought, no, I really don't want to, because <laughs> I don't want to relive that again. And I'm sure you've had moments like that for yourself, too, where you've hit some tragic situations in your life, the 9-11s in your life, and you've thought, man, how am I going to get through this? What, what am I to do in this moment? And there were some moments there in 9-11, too, a documentary from 2006 called Heroes Among Us, Miracles Around Us, it recounts of all these different things that have gone on in, during that day. Um, one of the stories, and I'll share it with you, is it included the story of, of Captain Jay Jonas of the New York Fire Department's Ladder Company 6. Jonas was with fellow firefighters in the North Tower of the World Trade Center. They were running down the stairs to get out of the building, knowing that it was about to collapse. But when they discovered Miss Josephine Harris lying in the stairwell, unable to walk, they refused to leave her there and delayed their escape. They said later that they knew this delay could cost them their lives. Even so, they slowly helped her down 16 flights of stairs in the North Tower. You can imagine the stress and the anxiety. we got to get out of here, but we're kind of going slow. They were still on the fourth floor in the stairwell when the tower collapsed on them. And miraculously, they survived. They would later learn that that had not been for their delay in stopping to help Miss Harris They would have been in a different position when the building collapsed and would have all been killed. It's moments like that you go, wow, God intervening in this? Uh, There were other stories of angelic beings and who guided people through through smoke-filled rooms and many, many stories of people delayed or missing work that day altogether. Each of the Twin Towers employed over 22,000 people, but on that day, there were less than 10,000 in each one. Most of them survived because it took so long for the buildings to collapse. That day, 266 passengers died on four planes. The capacity of those four flights were over 1,200. There was also loss of life at the Pentagon. 
125 were killed in the outer ring that was struck by the plane, and it was being reinforced and renovated at the time and had very few folks working there. That area would normally have 5,000 people working in it. All these things. And so the question might come, well, where was God in 9-11? Well, you know what? I think he was there. I think he was pretty busy. We're going we're gonna to begin a new preaching series here starting next Sunday in Isaiah. It took me a bit to look at and figure out what we're going to do. Now, we only have nine weeks worth, so I can't do all of Isaiah. Some of you might be disappointed on that one. But I'm, I'm going to try to pick and choose what, what we can look at for now. And maybe that will save you for later on wanting more. Always, always want to leave you wanting more, right? But, uh, but this being the anniversary of 9-11 and because of the world and national events we have experienced recently, I figured we needed a message on what to do when we face trouble. What do we do when we face trouble? It's all around us, and some of us are navigating through it even right now. What do we do when we face trouble? So first, I want to approach this by looking at Joseph's life and talking about God's will, a tricky thing, <laughs> and then see how uh, Psalm 46 can guide us uh, when facing trouble. Now, for some of us, we wrestle with the concept that bad things happen to good people. And we ask, why do good people experience these bad things? Why is it? And that's always a valid question, why? Because we want to know. We want to have an answer to these things, the things that are unknown. It's a question we ask when the storms of life blow in with a vengeance and, and devastate the ones we love. This question haunts us. When a global pandemic brings death to over 4 million people, when natural disasters happen month after month, and when believers are executed by Islamic extremists across the world. Is it, is it, God, is it God's will? How do we look at this? How do we deal with this? Now, teaching about the will of God can get slightly complicated, to say the least. And, uh, but I'll, I'll do my best. I, I stopped trying to, to figure out why other people do what they do. And maybe you have too. I mean, you look on the news, you go, why in the world would somebody do something like that? Or you hear about something going on, you, you just, you, you ask why. Why would that happen? Why would they do that? Uh, but uh, maybe you've looked back on moments when, and you said to yourself uh, some of the actions that you've done, and you, you wondered, why did I do that? And we're all in that same boat, because we can look back and go, well, that wasn't too smart, why I did that. So we start with a limited understanding of the human will. We don't know sometimes why we do what we do. Uh, we, we happen to we make those decisions and get in ourselves in, in a jam. But then we read this uh, revelation in Isaiah chapter 55, verses 8 and 9. For my thoughts are not your thoughts. Nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. If ever there was somebody who had no idea what God was going to accomplish by the ups and downs of his life, it had to be Joseph. And you could turn to Genesis chapter 45 uh, to catch uh, the portion that we're going to look at here. But... Uh, the last 14 chapters of Genesis is devoted to the story of Joseph. He is the 11th of the 12 sons of Jacob. 
Uh, he, has loved, he was loved dearly by his father and displayed the, the evidence of prophetic dreams at a young age. His father gave him a fancy coat of many colors, and you may have seen the musical possibly, but uh, loved his son dearly. And the jealousy of his older brothers drives them to sell him into slavery and tell his father a story of Joseph's death. The young man ends up in Egypt in the house of the, of the palace official. He rises to be in charge of the whole house, but an unwanted advance from his master's wife lands him in prison. And there he rises to be in charge of the prisoners. It's here he meets two men from Pharaoh's house. He correctly interprets their dreams. And one of the men <clears throat> remembers Joseph when the Pharaoh has a dream that none can interpret. And Joseph gives the ruler of the land the meaning of his dreams, and Pharaoh puts Joseph in charge of collecting food for the, for the seven years of drought that will be happening. He is second only to Pharaoh when his brothers arrive looking for food. Now, there are plenty of twists and turns in there, but those are the basics, and it gets to us to, to what Joseph said to his brothers in Genesis uh, chapter 45. <clears throat> After they realize this notable Egyptian is the brother they betrayed long ago. So in Genesis 45, we'll start with verse 4, and I'll just read through there through uh, verse 8. It says, Then Joseph said to his brothers, Come close to me. When they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here, because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now there has been famine in the land, and for the next five years there will not be plowing and reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So then it was not you who sent me here, but God. He made me father to Pharaoh, lord of his entire household, and ruler of all Egypt. So notice what, what Joseph tells his brothers. In verse 5, it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. Verse 7, but God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. Verse 8, so then it was not you who sent me here, but God. He made me father to Pharaoh, lord of his entire household, and ruler of all Egypt. So just so you understand what Joseph is saying here, God made sure Joseph was sold into slavery. God made sure Joseph was accused of sexual assault. God made sure Joseph was in prison. Now there's one thing on that list, uh, not one thing there on that list that we would attribute to God. <laughs> We'd say, no, that's not what God would do, would he? But Joseph, in hindsight, can see the hand of God in his whole story. It was definitely God's will for Joseph to suffer for a season so that he could make a way for all the tribes of Israel to find a sanctuary from the famine. So, what is the will of God? <laughs> and I'm sure you've been coming to hear about this. Okay, great. We're going to hear this. Wonderful. Thank you, Pastor Jim, finally. Um, every time we try to describe God... We are limited because the created have a limited understanding of the Creator. When we attempt to understand and explain the will of God, we use a couple of different terms. One is God's sovereign will, and the other one is God's revealed will. Now, I'm probably going to get into the theological weeds here a little bit, but I just want to try to help us understand a little bit 
concept of God's will. Now, God's sovereign will is understood as his will that operates from his throne as the ruler, the sovereign over, over the whole universe. This will of God encompasses all that happens. So his sovereign will will come about. Jesus was explaining this will of God in Matthew chapter 10, um, where he says, Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from the will of your Father. And even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. Now, if we follow that understanding out, uh, every hair in your hairbrush is known by God and is there as a part of God's sovereign will. <laughs> now, for some of us, God is pretty familiar with your hairbrush. <laughs> so it was, it was inside of God's sovereign will that Joseph was kidnapped, sold, and ended up in Egypt. Now, God knew Joseph would be right where he should be to interpret the dreams that God gave to Pharaoh. Nothing would stand in the way of God making a great nation of Abraham's seed. I've often told our kids, in the area of relationship, I said, you know, if this is the person that you need to be with for the rest of your life, ain't nothing going to stop that. If God, in His will, has this person in your life, and He's the one or she's the one for you, nothing's going to stop that if it's God's will, His sovereign will. So relax. <laughs> Don't worry about it. Relax. And I think the same thing can happen with each one of us in a lot of different areas. When we're worried and anxious about different things going on, thinking, well, what does this mean? How is this going to happen? Relax. God's sovereign will will work, and it will come about. Now, it might take us through some interesting curves and twists and turns, but His sovereign will will come about. The, the, the end of this story includes a huge natural disaster, a seven-year drought. We've been hearing about the flooding in Kentucky and Texas and Colorado and New Mexico. Although they remain in a drought situation, <laughs> there has been severe heat in Southern California, extreme wildfire da danger here, here in Oregon, as well as Northern California, too, with those planned power outages. We were wondering if we might be part of that, too, possibly coming up. We were going to be prepared for that. But are these the will of God? That's the question, isn't it? That you, well, okay, is God willing this? What's going on? Let me make this a little more complicated. <laughs> God's sovereign will has two parts. One is called God's efficacious will, and which, which means God caused, caused, caused it all to happen. He caused this to happen. The other one is God's permissive will which means God allows and permits it to happen. So there's one, where, one part of his will, his will is that he causes it to happen. The other part is he, he allows it to happen. And when I think of allowing it to happen, I think of Job in his life. God allowed that to happen in Job's life. But this is harder to understand because it's always hidden from us in the moment. In the moment, we can't really figure it out. Did he cause it or did he allow it? But we look back on it because then we see his sovereign will coming about. We see, oh, as Joseph looked on it too, and we see, oh, this had to happen to come about for here so that this would happen and God's will would work out here. But this is where we struggle. We struggle with God seeming to answer some of our prayer while other requests would appear to go unanswered. Ever been there? 
ever wonder why, okay, I've been praying for this. God, are you actually kind of saying no to this? Or you have had people who you've been praying for who have been sick and they have died. And you're going, I was praying for healing. I thought this was going to work. God, what are you doing here? And it seemingly is unanswered prayer, but I got to tell you, it's answered. <laughs> it's answered in God's sovereign will of no, because He has His sovereign will involved with this. And it's hard for us to probably <clears throat> grasp that. When asked about this, Billy Graham gave this answer. <clears throat> he said, God is not capricious or, or undependable. He is sovereign and loving and He knows what's best for us, even if we can't see it at the time. We also live in a world that's been corrupted by sin and is also under the, under the evil influence of Satan and his servants. By his death and resurrection, Jesus Christ broke Satan's power, but death is still with us. And only at the end of time, as we know it, will Satan be completely bound. So, yeah. God's will come on about, but there are bumps in the road that we have to endure as it comes about. Now, let me turn to that second term uh, used to describe God's will, God's revealed will. As the name implies, this one is clearly seen as it has uh, been revealed to us. Uh, this was true way back when the Hebrews were taken into, into uh, captivity by the Babylonians. Three young men continued to follow the food laws revealed in God's Word, and they are healthier and stronger than the other young men. Then when all others bow down to an idol of the ruler, they refuse and are thrown into the fiery furnace. And listen to what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego told Nebuchadnezzar. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to save us from it, and He will rescue us from your hand, O king. But even if He does not, we want you to know O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. So these guys, they knew God's revealed will of the first commandment, worship no other gods. They chose to follow God's will in this, and it would lead to deliverance or death, but that could not change what they had chosen to do. God's will was revealed in His word, and they wanted to follow it. What about us? We also have the ability to follow God's revealed will and the freedom to disobey His holy word. To understand this, we need to look no further than the first chapter of James, where it says, Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourself. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he has heard, but doing it, he will be blessed in what he does. So here we find a, uh, the description of a modern-day believer who hears a sermon on Sunday morning that makes clear what obedience looks like in these days. He or she feels the weight of conviction upon, uh, upon him and sees, that, sees what life should be like under God's revealed will. Then that person gets in the car, and by the time they get home, that clear vision in the mirror of the Holy Spirit fades away, and life goes back to another week on the maddening cycle of disobedience and obedience. That's the picture we have here. 
We hear about God's revealed will each Sunday when we gather for Sunday school, when we gather for a Bible study, when we gather for worship on Sunday. Because God's word is revealed, and within that is God's revealed will. You want to know what God's will is, is revealed will? You better know more about God's word. <laughs> and you'd be able to follow His will. For example, if you were here to hear a lesson uh, in Sunday school or a message in the worship service about Ephesians chapter 6, where it says, Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. You would hear that it's God's revealed will that children obey their parents, that we honor our father and mother, that fathers don't exasperate their children, that uh, children are to be raised in the training and instruction of the Lord. Those would be God's revealed will, those things God wants to have happen. And a little bit before the passage, back in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21, we would discover that it is God's revealed will that we submit to one another as well. So, in troubled times, if we are inclined to argue with God about why bad things happen to good people, we need to ask ourselves, how is God's sovereign will playing out here? And has God's revealed will for this situation been made known through His Word? Now, that's, that's the first part of all this. But still, what do we do when we face trouble? What do we do? We, we see what we know. <laughs> what do we do? And I believe we can find our answer in Psalm 46. So you can turn there if you'd like. Psalm 46 speaks to people of faith faced with extreme circumstances. Though earth-shaking events may invade our lives, our faith in God doesn't need to be shaken. And the presence of trouble doesn't mean the absence of God. According to Psalm 46, it's just the opposite. As Christians, we should know where God is in times of trouble. He's right here with His people, giving us the grace, strength, and the help we need for each day's burden. We know this because Psalm 9, verse 9 says the Lord is a refuge for the oppressed, a stronghold in times of trouble. And 2 Samuel chapter 22, verse 33 says that it is God who arms me with strength. God is with us. God never promised that we, sh we wouldn't have tsunamis. He never promised that we wouldn't have natural disasters. He never promised that we wouldn't have heartache and pain. He never promised that we would have an easy life. What He promised is that He would be with us no matter what. That He would never leave us, never forsake us. That He would use all of the troubles and trials and tribulations of this life to make us and mold us into the image of Jesus. Written during a time of war and an uncertainty, in a time when the writer wasn't sure how much longer this world would hold together, Psalm 46 is a direct word from God to those of us who are going through rough times. Follow along with me if, you, if you're there. Psalm 46. God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging. And then he had that word, Selah. Think about it. Meditate on that. 
Verse 4, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. God is within her. She will not fall. God will help her at break of day. Nations are in uproar. Kingdoms fall. He lifts His voice. The earth melts. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Selah. Come and see the works of the Lord, the desolations He has brought on the earth. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Selah. So, what do we do when facing troubled times? I believe we can be reminded to do three things. First, have hope in God's protection because our security is in God, not in this world. Have our hope in God's protection. We are to look to the Creator, not the creation. To the love, to, to, to be able to love the giver and not the, the gifts that are given. This world has, has little to offer us. He says the, the earth can give way, the mountains can fall into the sea, and the waters can roar and foam, and the mountains quake. We are asked to turn to God, for He alone can be our refuge and strength. God is our ever-present help. He is our hope, and nothing else is. We have only one source of security, and that's God. When the economy collapses, wars break out, natural disasters happen, destroy our homes, government fails, our health deteriorates, our friends betray us, God is the only place we can find security. Our world, with all its advancements in education, technology, and science, is no safer today than it was thousands of years ago. In fact, we feel more threatened today than, these, than those days when people lived in villages and in wooden huts. There's a story about a retired couple who was alarmed by the threat of nuclear war, so they undertook a serious study of all the inhab inhabited places on the globe. Their goal was to determine where in the world would be the place to be least likely affected by a war, a, a, a place of ultimate security. Well, they studied and traveled, and they traveled and studied, and finally they found the place to be able to call secure, an island. <clears throat> and on Christmas, they sent their pastor a card from their new home in the Falkland Islands. Now, some of you know history, and it tells us their so-called paradise was soon turned into a war zone by Britain in Argentina. Anything can happen at any second. There is no security unless we have placed ourselves in the hand of the one who holds eternity, who is in control of all things. We need to turn to God, more so in these last days. Only when we seek God can we find rest for our soul. The psalmist wrote, be still and know that I am God. Some of us need to be still. <laughs> we need to know. The Bible says, some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. They are brought to their knees and, and fall, but we rise up and stand firm. When we believe that God is still in control and seated firmly on His throne, we can say along with the psalmist, God is our refuge and strength, ever-present help in trouble. 
Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea. So have hope in God's protection because our security is in God, not in this world. The second thing we can do when we face trouble is to have hope in God's presence because our security comes from our faith, not from our circumstances. Have hope in God's presence. Our security comes from our faith, not from our circumstances. The psalmist was able to feel secure and happy because he says in verse 5, God is within the city and therefore she will not fall. And in verse 7, the Lord Almighty is with us. His faith is in the presence of God and that gives him hope, gives him security. Not because the city was, has huge walls or strong gates, not because they, they are seasoned warriors or have great weapons, but because God is with them. God wants us to enjoy His good gifts, just as we want our children to enjoy what we give them. But He doesn't want us to depend on things. He wants us to depend on Him. Don't let anything replace your security that needs to be found in God. Our trust is not in things, but in Him. And His presence will be our peace and joy. Jesus said, peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. Do not give, I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not be afraid. And Job, as I mentioned, was robbed of everything around him, but he chose to place his trust in God. He was shaken, but he did not fall. And the Bible says, those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which cannot be shaken, but endures forever. Security is not the absence of trouble, but the confidence and courage we have in the middle of trouble, which comes from a faith in God. Some people probably have asked you, why, why are you so calm during this difficult time? Or why, why are you going through this with like a confidence? Because you have the answer. You have the hope within you. <laughs> you have faith in God, and God is with you. No matter what goes on around you, it will be all right. It's this faith that gives the psalmist the courage to say in verse 2, we will not fear. We can have the same courage today. Jesus said, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. So our confidence cannot be shaken because we have a God who is in complete control. We have courage not because we are strong, but because we have a God who is strong. He is powerful, and He rules over all. God has, has, has not changed, and His love will see us through. Paul asks us, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. So have hope in God's presence because our security comes from our faith not from our circumstance. The third thing here we can do when we face trouble is to have hope in God's peace. Have hope in God's peace because our security is in eternity, not in the present. Verse 8, come and see the works of the Lord. <clears throat> Ultimately, God wins. This world is not our home. 
If you are looking only in, at the present circumstances, you will be shaken. But if your life is grounded in eternity, you will stand firm. As Christians, our lives have an eternal dimension. We know that nothing that happens here can harm or change the things that matter to us most. Our relationship with God, our home in heaven, the presence of our loved ones and friends who have known Christ and lived for Him. Nothing can change those things and no one can take them away. The Bible says, and we know that in all these things, all things, God works for the good of those who love Him, who have been called according to His purpose. God works in all the situations of our lives to bring about His good. So whatever trouble you're going through, God will use for His eternal purposes. Our confidence does not go up and down with the stock market. (laughs) Our security is not in how good the news is on television. The Lord says in this psalm, verse, uh, verse 10, Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. So as Christians, we understand that there is evil in the world. Talked about it in Sunday school, the adult Sunday school class, about how there's the, the, uh, the heavenly realms and the spiritual warfare going on. And we know there's evil in the world. But we also know that God is in the world too. God will judge the evil in this world. And ultimately, good will triumph over evil. Truth will be victorious over the lie. And love will win out over hate. God wins. (laughs) There are no guarantees in this world for any of us. We are not immune from the harms of this world, but we are loved because we have a Father who watches over us like His children. And that is our security. Have hope in God's, God's peace because our security is in eternity, not in the present. Lisa Beamer, might know her name. She's the wife of 9-11 hero Todd Beamer. She gave a powerful speech shortly after Todd died in the flight, in, in flight 93 crash in Shanksville, Pennsylvania. Todd's the guy who you probably heard, he, he uh, said the phrase after putting the phone down, let's roll. And they went after those people who were hijacking that flight. Here's a portion excerpted from, uh, from her book. She says, the choices for people like me and for many of us in this room are to look at all the things we've lost or to look at all the things we have, to become bitter or to become better, to live in fear or to live in hope. I've chosen to live in hope. The reason I've chosen to live in hope is because of the heavenly eternal perspective God has given me. That tells me that fear comes from feeling out of control. And if September 11th has taught us anything, it is that we are never really in control. Todd and I were two people who planned for the future, type A's who had all our ducks in a row, and yet we were not in control on September 11th. But hope comes from knowing who is in control. Hope comes from knowing that we have a sovereign, loving God who is in control of every event of our lives. It's a time of uncertainty, and many people are looking for something to cling to. I hope for you that you can cling to the one who has all the power and all the love and all the care because he's the one who's really in charge. Well, we can't know the future, uh, and, but we know who does hold it. And we can't know the full extent of God's will, 
but we can trust the one who, who made us and made a way for us to be with him for eternity. We are unable to see it all, but we can trust that he does. And ultimately, we turn to the one who is in control and cling to him. When we have hope in God's protection, his presence, and his peace, we can make it through the troubles and the trials and tribulation that come our way because our security is in God, not this world. It's, it comes from, from our faith, not our circumstances, and it's in, it's in eternity, not in this present. I trust that through all this, you also too, then whatever God is speaking to you about, whatever troubles you are going through at this present time, you can cling to the hope you have in Christ. And be reminded that He is enough for you. And you will get through this. Have that eternal perspective. Put on the glasses of God and see what's going on around you. And how He's using all these things to bring about His sovereign will in your life as well. I'm going to have the worship team come on up. They're going to lead us in the last couple of songs. And as they do, I just want you to, want you to just kind of sit in this. Just think about what God is doing in your life right now. Whatever troubles you might be going through, are you trusting in Him to get you through it? Or are you just trusting Him to remove it? Get me out of this. Whatever it is, trust that God will be with you through it all. And realize that He's got a plan here. Look at Joseph's life. <laughs> he had no idea what was going on, but he knew God. And he, he knew God was good. We need to be reminded of that as well, as whatever trouble you might be headed into or in right now, know that God is good. He's enough for you. You will make it. You will make it through.